1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31 to the end of chapter 13. Paul writes, But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Amen. Well, let me pray briefly to ask for the Lord's help before we study his words together. Let me pray. The psalmist writes, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey in my mouth. We thank you, our Father, that you are a speaking God. And we ask this evening, Lord, that as we study your word together, even as we are rebuked and challenged, that we would find real joy in hearing you speak. And we ask that in doing so, none of us would leave here unchanged. We ask these things for our joy and for your glory, and we do so in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as we begin, let me uh, introduce you to a couple of people. Uh, firstly, I want you to meet Chloe. Chloe's really devoted to her Christian faith. She serves in her local church in a really self-sacrificial way. She gives most of her money away towards enabling other people to hear about Jesus. And personally, she's suffered real difficulty in her workplace because of her stand for Jesus, because she wants to tell people about him. That's Chloe. Secondly, I want to introduce you to Peter. Peter's a really gifted Bible teacher and Bible study leader. He understands the Bible really well, and he's got a knack for communicating it and applying it really clearly and effectively. That's Peter. Now, my guess is that if we met them, if we met Chloe, 
and we met Peter, a lot of us might quite admire them. In fact, if you're a Christian, you might even aspire to be like them. But this evening, we're going to be thinking about 1 Corinthians 13. We've just read it together. And the surprise of 1 Corinthians 13 is that just as impressive as Chloe and Peter both sound, as spiritually mature as we might assume them both to be, it is quite possible that both of them are spiritual nothings. That their service of God is for nothing, and that in Paul's words, they are essentially white noise, spiritually speaking. Does that surprise you? We've seen in recent weeks that 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 is about spiritual gifts and how to exercise spiritual gifts, gifts given by God within a local church. And for the church in Corinth, exercising gifts was a way of showing just how spiritual they were. The more spectacular or impressive looking the gift, the better. The more spectacular looking the gift, the more spiritual, the nearer to God you were. All of which means that by the end of chapter 12, the Corinthians' ears pick up. Chapter 12, verse 31, Paul says, Earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. To which the Corinthians are surely replying, Tell us, Paul, what is it? What's the most excellent way? What's the more excellent way? And as the Corinthians ask the question, Paul drops a bombshell. Chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. The more excellent way, says Paul, isn't about the what of your spiritual gifts, the what of your spiritual activity, the particular gifts you use, how impressive they are. The more impressive way, the more excellent way, is about the how of your spiritual activity. More to the point, whether it's done with love or not. Now, that would have been a bit uncomfortable for the Corinthians to hear. And my guess is that as we look through the passage this evening, it might end up being a bit uncomfortable for some of us to hear. The Corinthians seem like a million miles away from where we are in Jarmus Church in Edinburgh in 2020, because we probably don't use our gifts as spiritual benchmarks in quite the same way as the Corinthians did. But I suspect that many of us do run with a similar equation to the Corinthians. The equation is a simple one. It goes something like this. Spiritual activity equals spiritual maturity. If you don't think you run with that equation, think of Chloe and Peter. Without knowing anything else about them, other than the spiritual activities they're involved in, whether Chloe with her self-sacrifice or Peter with his Bible teaching, well, they both sound like valuable, valuable members of a local church, don't they? They both sound spiritually mature. And actually, it isn't just Christians who run with that kind of equation. You might be here this evening and not describe yourself as a Christian. You might not think in terms of spiritual maturity, but you might at least presume that if God does exist 
the kind of person he's most likely to be pleased with is the one who's busy doing religious-looking stuff. But Paul's point is that appearances can be deceiving. Spiritual activity doesn't necessarily equal spiritual maturity. And in fact, Paul introduces another equation. It hangs over the whole of chapter 13, and it's this. Spiritual activity minus love equals nothing. Spiritual activity minus love equals nothing. No amount of serving, no amount of spiritual activity, no kind of spiritual activity can make up for a lack of love. Now, I'm conscious that might not have been the tone you were expecting from a sermon on 1 Corinthians 13. This is the marriage passage, isn't it? It's the wedding verses. If you were hoping for some of the warm fuzzies, I'm sorry to disappoint. But though 1 Corinthians 13 might not warm our hearts as much as we're expecting it to, I do hope and pray that it will change them. Let's spend some time looking at what Paul says in closer detail. There are some headings I should have said on the back of your service sheet. You might find it helpful to have those in front of you as we go along this evening. You'll see the first one there. The loveless exercise of gifts, even good, impressive ones, is worthless. That's verses 1 to 3. Now, if you were here last week, we thought together about 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we saw that God has given a variety of different gifts to the church. And um, and Roger looked at some of those. There's prophecy and tongues and administration, among others. And the big idea of chapter 12 is unity in diversity. All of the gifts that are given to a local church work together. They're necessary for for a church to function rightly, to function as a body. Now, as a heads up, Roger will think in more detail about what some of those gifts actually are next week. Uh, particularly what Paul means by prophecy and what are tongues. But it's worth saying just now that Paul thinks both of those gifts are good gifts. He's not against them. He actually encourages the pursuit of them in chapter 14. We will see that next week. Particularly encourages the pursuit of prophecy. And so his problem in 1 Corinthians 13 isn't with the gifts themselves. It's not that there's anything wrong with prophecy. There's nothing wrong with speaking in tongues in 1 Corinthians 13. That's not what he's getting at. The problem is how they're used. And so he starts, verse 1, with tongues, speaking with the tongues of men and the tongues of angels. Now, speaking with the tongues of angels is right up the Corinthians' alley. It's impressive sounding. It's spiritual sounding. But notice what he says about them. Well, if you can speak in fluent angel, but you don't do it with love, then you're a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And we're very thankful for our drummers here at Chammers. I'm afraid to say that Paul didn't think much of the cymbals. Very sorry to Davy, who's playing this evening. His point is that if you're speaking angel but not loving people, well, you're like white noise. That's the point. And on to verse 2. If I have prophetic powers 
and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Prophesy all you like, says Paul. You can even have mountain-moving faith. That's a lot of faith. But if you don't have love, you're nothing. And then lastly, verse 3, Paul broadens the principle out a bit from gifts to spiritual activity. Verse 3, notice what he says, if I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. For me of the three in verses 1 to 3, the three examples he gives, this is probably the most shocking. Even a Christian martyr Doing what they do without love gains nothing. Now, all of that is pretty shocking. And it's shocking because it dismantles our equation, doesn't it? That spiritual activity equals spiritual maturity. Because when it comes to using your gifts, when it comes to serving, particularly serving in a local church, Paul says the gifts are good, but love is essential. Now, I hope that big principle's pretty clear. The loveless exercise of gifts is worthless. But I'll confess that until this past week, I'd always slightly misunderstood what Paul was saying in verses 1 to 3. So I thought that he was saying in verse 1 in particular, if you speak in tongues and you do so without love, then your, prof- then your speaking in tongues will sound like noisy gongs and clanging cymbals. That the words coming out of your mouth will be like white noise. But that isn't what he says, is it? Just look again. He says, if you exercise your gifts without love, you are white noise. You are a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Not your gift, you. What difference does that make? Well, it means that it's quite possible still to sound and look like the real deal, spiritually speaking. Even when you're exercising gifts in a loveless way. See, if it was always obvious from our output, our spiritual activity, that we are being loveless, then we can spot it pretty easily, can't we? But how is it that we're to know if we're being loving or not, if you just can't tell from the words that are coming out of your mouth? At least not necessarily. What does it look like to be loving, or what does it look like to be unloving? Well, Paul comes to that next. We'll see that under our next heading. Love is selfless. You Corinthians are not. Now, there is a reason that verses 4 to 7 are read at weddings, and it's because they're pretty beautiful, aren't they? Actually, I'll confess to it now. We have a, um, a slate in our living room and that we were given shortly after we were married that has 1 Corinthians 13, verses 7 and 8 inscribed on it. It was given to us shortly after our wedding and it's still in our living room today. Um, but it is worth asking, especially, I think, when we're coming to a text that we're familiar with, what is Paul trying to do with them? Why does he list these characteristics of love right here? Because he does it for a reason. 
Uh, now, I have an eight-week-old son called James, who is uh, lurking around the building as I speak, probably just about to explode into tears. So if he starts crying, um, please uh, do try and concentrate. Um, over the first few weeks after he was born, um, a health visitor came round to our house to check that everything was as it should be. And the health visitor has a checklist you work through each time that she's round, just to make sure that James's growth and development is healthy. Is he the right kind of weight? Is he the right length? Does he have the right number of toes? That kind of thing. And if there was anything, any measurement that fell out with the expected spectrum or range, especially when she's working through a checklist, well, it suggests that there's something amiss with James. Might want to have him checked out for that. And the next few verses of 1 Corinthians 13 kind of like, uh, work like that checklist. See, Paul isn't just waxing lyrical about what love's like and how wonderful it is. He describes love in such a way as to diagnose the Corinthians' lack of it. Let me say that again. Paul is describing love in such a way as will diagnose the Corinthians' lack of it. What makes me think that that's what he's doing? Well, firstly, I wonder if you noticed that what Paul describes isn't actually a full picture of love. There are some pretty key characteristics that are missing from his portrait. I wonder if you noticed that. So think, for example, of what Jesus said about love in the New Testament. He said, Greater love has no one than this, that a man lays down his life for his friends. Self-sacrifice is a really important characteristic of Christian love. But when you read through Paul's list in 1 Corinthians 13, it isn't actually there. So Paul can't be painting the full portrait of Christian love, at least not in a general way. Or if he is, then he's, he's missed out a pretty important part of it. But as well as what doesn't make it onto his list, have a look at what does make it onto his list and have a think back over the past few weeks and months we've been looking at 1 Corinthians together. And think about whether it rings any bells with what we know about the Corinthians from elsewhere in the letter. So look down, for example, chapter 13, verse 4. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. Does that ring any bells? Think back to chapter 1. Corinthians boasting about the impressiveness of their favorite speaker. I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas. Think at the beginning of chapter 8. They boasted about their knowledge. They had to be reminded not to do so. Then look on, chapter 13, verse 5. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Well, in chapter 6, the Corinthians were insisting on their way so much that they'd ended up suing each other. How's that for a lack of love? Chapter 13, verse 6, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but chapter 5, the Corinthians were rejoicing in a man having a sexual relationship with his mum, with his stepmom. See, when you hold the Corinthians' behavior against each brushstroke of Paul's portrait of love, they are distinctly lacking. And 1 Corinthians 13 starts to look less like a love poem to the Corinthians and more like a cross-examination. Now, I don't think that our feelings are always quite as bombastic or as crass 
as the Corinthians were. At Chalmers, I don't think we clamber over one another to look more spiritually impressive than one another, or at least if we do, we don't rejoice in doing it. But we do still apply that equation. Spiritual activity equals spiritual maturity. And so we presume that our giftedness, we presume that our willingness to serve or our self-sacrifice for the gospel is always a good measure of our Christian maturity. And so the activity becomes all that really matters. Activity for the gospel is the evidence of how mature we are. But Paul says it's possible to look like the real deal, but to lack in love, and so be a spiritual nothing. And so it's worth asking ourselves whether our spiritual activity, the way we use our gifts, the way we serve, is marked by love. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 7, love. For example, is there ever a part of you that feels spiritually superior to other people because you're quite good at doing something? That might manifest itself in any number of ways, playing in the band, evangelism, knowledge of the Bible, running sound or audiovisuals. Maybe your aptitude makes you feel like you're more useful for the gospel and therefore more spiritual than other people. You don't say it out loud, of course, but you think it. Well, if that does describe you, it is worth asking yourself whether your Christian service, your spiritual activity is characterized by love or by the kind of boastfulness and arrogance that Paul warns against in 1 Corinthians 13. Or maybe you find yourself feeling frustrated with other people in church. Maybe because they won't do the job as well as you can. You'll probably end up having to pick up the pieces after they've messed it up. Or conversely, maybe you find yourself feeling bitter towards people because you wish you could do things that they do and you wish you could do them as well as they do them. Well, again, it's worth asking yourself, is your service of of Jesus, is it characterized by love or is it characterized by irritability and envy and impatience and unkindness? Let me give one last example. Perhaps on the back of our focus on taking one step forward in evangelism, you've taken one step forward in evangelism. And maybe you're getting a really hard time at work or among family or among friends for doing that. And maybe you're just starting to feel a little bit bitter about it. Maybe towards the elders and the preaching team for encouraging you to take the one step forward. Or maybe even towards God for not protecting you while all you're trying to do is serve him. If that is you, it's worth asking yourself whether your sacrifice for the gospel, your willingness to step out and tell people about Jesus, is characterized by love or by resentment. It's worth framing things. I think in that negative way. I know that we often look at 1 Corinthians 13 as a very positive thing, and it is a very positive portrait, but I think Paul uses them to diagnose, and so I think it's worth us doing the same thing. We need to dismantle the equation that says spiritual activity equals spiritual maturity, because the bottom line is that no matter how good it might look, 
trying to serve Jesus without having love for Jesus' people is nothing. And I guess that probably stung for the Corinthians, and I know it certainly stings for me. I wonder where it leaves you. Incidentally, I wonder whether 1 Corinthians 13 was very high on the list of possible wedding readings in first century Corinth. Do you think? Love is selfless, says Paul, but you Corinthians are not. Now, the fruit of that might be circumspection among us. I guess it probably was for the Corinthians. But it is worth noting that Paul isn't just trying to beat them up about how unloving they're being. He wants to draw their attention to that, definitely. But he also wants to win them over. To win them over to love, not through compulsion or duty or guilt, but because love is the more excellent way. And it really is the more excellent way. And he explains how it's more excellent under our final heading this evening. Love is eternal, but gifts are not. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 to 13. Now, uh, wedding readings typically end halfway through verse 8. Uh, after the words, love never ends. I think that's probably where the reading ends on the slate we've got in our living room. And you can understand why. It's, it's quite a powerful way to end a reading. But it kind of misses out on what Paul's doing at the end of chapter 13. Because at the end of, of 1 Corinthians 13, he sets up a competition. So in the red corner is love. And in the blue corner, spiritual gifts. What is it that he says about love in verse 8? He says it never ends. It's eternal. And then notice what he says next. In contrast, verse 8, prophecies will pass away. Tongues will cease. Knowledge will pass away. In heaven, in the new creation, spiritual gifts will be but a memory. Love is eternal, says Paul, but gifts aren't. So in Paul's competition, love wins round one. But as well as winning the longevity round, in the fight between gifts and love, Gifts lose in a second round too. I wonder if you noticed that. Read from verse 9 onwards, and actually we'll read a, a little bit of a chunk. Verse 9, For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Now those are, again, famous verses. They're often used by the great and the good in various speeches. I think um, President Obama quoted verse 11 in his inauguration speech in 2009. And he said that it was time for America to put aside childish things. And he cited 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In other words, he's telling them to grow up is the, the bottom line. Um, but that isn't quite what Paul's saying he isn't telling the Corinthians just to grow up. His point is that speaking like a child and reasoning like a child is actually reasonable when you are a child. But it isn't reasonable when you're grown up. So, for example, it's understandable that my two-year-old son wants to build the tallest tower he possibly can using the food on his dinner plate. It's understandable. 
But when you're in your 20s and 30s, that becomes less acceptable, as my wife keeps telling me. <laughs> and in much the same way, speaking in tongues, exercising prophecy, are reasonable here on earth. They're good gifts. We're to pursue them. But when we're face to face with Jesus, well, we won't need them anymore. Because what the gifts do is serve to give us a reflection of what we one day will see perfectly. Gifts are partial. And in contrast, says Paul, love, well, love's the full thing. Verse 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. I think what Paul's saying here is just as we won't need gifts, that in heaven we won't even need faith or hope. Our faith will have turned to sight. Our hope will have been fulfilled. And yet love will abide. Love is eternal, but gifts are not. So where does all of that leave us this evening? Well, as we look to serve and to use our gifts for the common good of the church, let's not presume that our activity or our giftedness is what matters, or at least is what all that matters. Instead, chapter 14, verse 1, just look down to that just now. Look at what he ends with. Chapter 14, verse 1. Pursue love. Yes, pursue the gifts. He'll carry on and say that next week. But pursue love. Love is essential. Uh, each Christmas time, I buy my grandfather a book of Advent Bible readings, and uh, we read them at the same time as each other, and we'll send uh, WhatsApp messages to each other about what we're enjoying in them and what we're learning um, over the course of December. And this year, I bought him a new one that had been released called Love Came Down at Christmas by a man called Sinclair Ferguson. And uh, all of the readings aren't based on the usual nativity readings, but they're based on 1 Corinthians 13. And uh, if I'm honest, I thought that the link from 1 Corinthians 13 to Christmas time was going to be a little bit tenuous, that he'd maybe just run out of material or had already maybe written a couple of books using the textbook nativity verses and decided to lump in with 1 Corinthians 13. But the link isn't tenuous at all. Because each of the traits described in 1 Corinthians 13 does describe Jesus. He was patient and kind. He didn't envy or boast. He wasn't arrogant or rude. Didn't insist on his own way. Wasn't irritable or resentful. He didn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoiced with the truth. And that makes a difference, I think. A few minutes ago, I described the characteristics of love from verses 4 to 7 in terms of a checklist. And I do hope that's helpful, at least to help us reflect on whether we really are loving or not. But it doesn't make loving sound like a very attractive thing, does it? Things to tick off in a checklist. And yet pursuing love for a Christian is an attractive thing. Because we aren't just ticking things off a checklist. We're seeking to be more and more like Jesus. 
And that's why Paul can say that love will last, that love is eternal. Because when we are in glory, when we are in heaven or in the new creation, where sin is no more, verses 4 to 7 describe what we will be like. Love is eternal. And for us, as for the Corinthians, the fact that this is what Jesus was like should motivate us to pursue love. But practically, how do we do that? How do we grow in love? How do we grow to look more like Jesus? Is it just a case of, of, of hunkering down and trying a bit harder? Well, no. Because the truth is, we can't actually do it on our own. We need help. And wonderfully, God promises that he will help us. He himself will help us, his Holy Spirit, who lives within anyone who, who loves and follows the Lord Jesus. And so if you're a Christian, and you've been reading through 1 Corinthians 13 this evening, and it's convicted you of your need to grow in love, then the first place to go is to ask for his help to do that. Ask for his help to change you so that all the things that you're involved in doing, your gifts and your service, well, they aren't just rungs on a ladder. They aren't ways to climb over other people or to make you feel more spiritually superior. But they're marked by love and that you look more and more like Jesus. Ask for his help. Now, if you wouldn't describe yourself as a Christian... I hope you can at least see from what we've been thinking about that at the very least, being a Christian isn't about white-knuckled religious duty. See, if you don't have love, then spiritual activity is for nothing. But I wonder if you can see that that doesn't actually make obedience any easier. If anything, it ramps things up. Because for all that we might aspire to look like 1 Corinthians 13... For all of us, whether Christian or not, if we reflect honestly on our own lives, I guess we'd have to admit that verses 4 to 7 are not a portrait of what we actually look like here and now. So whilst these verses do show us what it looks like to pursue love, they give us a portrait to aspire to, they exhort us towards loving more, they also show us that we fall short, just as they did for the Corinthians. And if that is you this evening, if you're convicted by areas of lovelessness in your own life, well, as well as asking him to help you to grow in love, ask him for his forgiveness. And thank him that even though we do not love like 1 Corinthians 13, that he has loved us far more than we can possibly fathom by sending his son Jesus. The bottom line is that 1 Corinthians 13, well, they wouldn't have us in a whirlwind of romantic love thoughts. It's not warm and fuzzy. 1 Corinthians 13 would have us on our knees asking for God's forgiveness for our lovelessness, thanking him for his love for us, and asking, pleading for his help to grow in love to become more and more like our Savior and King, the Lord Jesus. Let me pray to him now.
if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Our God and Father, we come before you this evening to confess our own failures to love you as we ought, to love others as we ought. And yet to still presume that our actions reflect our spiritual maturity before you. Father, we ask for your forgiveness. And we thank you and praise you that because you are a loving God, you are patient and kind that you gave your son to save us from the judgment due for our rejection of you, for our lovelessness for each other. And not only that, to give us confidence that one day what we read of in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 of the partial becoming full of faith becoming sight is something we can have confidence in. One day we will see you face to face and know you fully. We ask now for your help to change us and to grow us. That we would love just as we have been loved. And we grow to be more and more like the Lord Jesus in all that we do, in all that we say. We ask all of these things for our joy and for your glory. And we do so in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.